Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc Podcast. I'm here with Jacqueline Kerr. She is a behavioral change scientist, and she is also the host of the Overcoming Working Mom Burnout Podcast. How more perfect could that be to have her on here? And did a really cool TEDx talk recently called How to Stop Burnout Before It Starts, which if you have not listen to that and watched it, you need to. I'm going to let Jacqueline explain it, but the one little teaser I'm going to give you on that is that there's a baked Alaska that is featured in this TED Talk <laughs> as as a graphic, as some symbolism to use for our lives as, as working moms. So welcome to the show, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me. And it was funny, actually, someone that watched my TEDx talk, they said, you had me at dessert, which was my first question, which is what dessert would you be? And they're like, you had me at dessert. So I'm like, great. I know a lot of moms can relate to that. Absolutely. Well, my first thing that I talk about always in my keynote speech is about Justin Bieber. So I get a lot of moms that say you had me at Bieber, you know? So it's not quite the same as a baked Alaska, but it's just as yummy. So I feel like people are into it. (laughs) That's hilarious. Just as yummy. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's about our stories and it's also about how we communicate our message that's so important. And I think analogies are so important. So Mm -hmm. in my talk, the baked Alaska was helping me explain one, how working mums might feel in terms of, you know, we're trying to protect this really amazing, wonderful thing inside our family, but then we're being blowtorched to perfection on the outside, which is kind of society's expectations of us and somewhat our own. And then also when you open a baked Alaska and you see the layers of the cake, the ice cream, the meringue, that also relates to kind of the public health framework that I come from, which is basically lots of different layers in society influence us. And I know lots of people do not want to be a victim of this system. And I I understand that. But if we understand how much it influences us, Mm -hmm. one, we can say, okay, have some compassion with myself because it's not all under my control. And two, have compassion with others because they're struggling too. But I also think it reminds us that when we do change things in the, as an individual or as a family or in our organization or in society as a whole, we do ripple and influence each other. So each layer does then influence back out the way. So I see it as a really positive, hopeful framework. So, you know, that's what I try to convey. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's really interesting. I just was chatting with my book agent. I have a, a new book that I'm working on and in the proposal that I that I have been writing, you know, my entire framework is a lot about there is 
there are all of these societal issues that are happening that we have to advocate around. We have to change the system. And also, gosh, we can't wait for it to change to make individual changes within ourselves. We do have some agency over some factors and some of us more than others, depending on what the circumstances are, the environments we come from, what our training was, but that it's just, it's not simple. It's not black and white. It's not change one thing, but not the other, that all of the different areas have to be addressed. And that, like you said, each time there's a small one degree change in any of those layers of the baked Alaska, it does make an influence on the entire, on the entire system. You and I, before we get started and and talk more about your TEDx talk, you and I have been chatting on LinkedIn and it's always interesting to me on LinkedIn, what resonates, what has people talking, what gets people in conversation and what doesn't. We put our podcast episodes up all the time on LinkedIn and we put our blogs up and those get a few likes here and there. But this post that I just put up really was interesting to people. I talked about a field trip that my daughter went on yesterday and that I said yes to coming with her for the half day and took off half day of work like two weeks ago. And that then one of my business partners in my pediatrics office then sent me a text. I was driving there to say, you know, we have a patient that was misscheduled, think you could come in at 11 and see them, you know, and that I originally wanted to say sorry, and erase that, and then put no. And your comment was so good. Your comment was, or you could have just said nothing, you could have just not responded. And my comment back was, absolutely. I think that for me to do that, I almost have to have my phone completely off to be able to do that because I've been so conditioned as a, as a healthcare professional to be responsive, that I am not a nine to fiver, that I have like a greater calling to always be helping a patient kind of no matter what, even if it puts me at risk of burnout in the end. And I know you have really a, a strong background and some history kind of in the public health field in terms of medical school. And so we thought that would be a really interesting thing to have a conversation about because so many of our listeners here are healthcare workers, are in the medical mm. medical space. So tell us from that lens kind of more about you. What is your background? What made it so you got so interested in mom burnout? And then we'll come back around to the medical piece of it, healthcare piece. Right, exactly. And again, I was just being brave on LinkedIn saying you could have not responded at all. Because to me, there comes a point as well, where one, I feel like we are always being responsive. And I definitely see and I, the example I gave was in the school context, the dads are, are completely ignoring these emails coming mm-hmm. in. So, so there is a point if that if you're not available, you're not available. And, and, and it's not like physicians are on call 24-7. You have a shift whereupon yep. you might be on call. Yep. And, 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 and somehow now, you know, the, the, I think maybe the pages at least allowed that to have some mm-hmm. limits to it. But, but yeah, the cell phones, that does make it more, more complicated. So yeah, my, my background, I was in a school of medicine and focusing more on the public health side of things. But within that 
construct of a school of medicine, which can be extremely competitive, can be fairly toxic at times that women professionals, faculty and and students going through those schools of medicine can face a lot of bias and and bullying and and struggles in there. And so that was kind of the environment that, that I was working in, but not even really aware of it. And someone described it to me this week, like when you're the fish in the water, you don't even know that you're in water, right? You don't even know this concept water, right? You're just in a thing. And, you know, I think I gravitated to an institution where competition was part of it and where, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the positive side of the peer review process is you get affirmation from your peers. Mm -hmm. The negative side is it's completely (laughs) critical Mm -hmm. and, and highly competitive. And I think the thing too, I was chatting with a colleague yesterday from Kaiser Permanente, you know, the large healthcare organization. And we were talking about the, the, the fact that the National Institutes of Health, where we would receive our funding from, that their pay lines haven't changed despite, you know, inflation and, and all these other things. So it, it's coming from these multiple levels, this level of competition and scarcity that never was there. And, mm-hmm. and this lady was an older researcher who could relate to how it had got worse over time. So I think that in itself, you know, we're at this moment in time in academia, in a place where we want female students to have role models. Mm -hmm. And we want female researchers to be researching health problems, because if there are not female health researchers, women's health problems are not studied. And that's why we had so long before we understood heart disease from from mm-hmm. the the female physiology so it really integrates even though i focus now sort of on or working on burnout all these issues are such complex ones at such deep societal levels cuz our education system our health system and then now i really focus on our workplace systems as well mm-hmm. so I burnt out from that environment. You know, I I was working extremely hard. I got to the top of my profession. You know, I'm in the top 1% of most cited scientists Mm -hmm. worldwide. I got there. I did it. Millions of dollars in grants and research, looking partly at women's health. But when I became a mom, I started to not like myself. And it was partly because I was parenting in a very authoritarian way that had been modeled to me. And it didn't sit well with me but I didn't know the alternatives. And then I just kept taking on more and more leadership in the university, as well as leading my own research group, thinking, you know, I tried to prove myself, right? Constantly trying to prove myself. So I own that. I own the pieces that I brought to this. And that's how I started really working on those and trying to work out what I could do in the parenting realm, what I could do through coaching for my own mindset. But then that's also when I suddenly learned about when I was facing like the, how could I be a better manager, a better colleague? And then I learned all about the maternal wall and the motherhood penalty. And, you know, mm. considered myself fairly intelligent, but I felt naive and ignorant. The fact I didn't know about these things. Mm-hmm. And I chatted to other women about it. And we were saying, well, we grew up really believing that we could work hard and succeed. And we, and we mm. do. Mm-hmm. But then we're, the struggle results in burnout and you get to a point in your career when motherhood and your career are intersecting, maybe at a certain level, right? Mm-hmm. But it f- certainly seems like that. 
and and then it's just not possible. And a little bit like your situation, although I won't compare it entirely, my son is on the autism spectrum and he was Mm -hmm. struggling in school and I needed to help him find a different level of support. Mm -hmm. So just even trying to do something like that with, you know, everything else going on, it, it just wasn't possible. So yeah, I just, I just, I ended up leaving, you know, I had a really difficult time for a while where I experienced suicide ideation and it was tough, Mm -hmm. but I learned to reset my body and then I left and then the witch, my inner critic came out and told me I was a failure. And so that part is really, really hard too. So I've just been still continue. I still continue to help faculty write National Institutes of Health grants. That's sort of my paid income. But I couldn't give up this side mission of wanting other moms not to go through what I went through. And I feel like I, I have this perspective of like, what would a strategic comprehensive plan for burnout prevention look like? Those are the big questions that I've yeah. studied in public health and that I've done interventions around for, for other topics. My area was about walkable communities and physical activity. So I, I'm really comfortable in these complicated spaces. So that's what I hope, hope to bring to, to that space. Two things that you bring up that I just am feeling in the core of my body. I mean, one is is just this feeling of a feeling like that inner critic when you leave, when you choose, when you decide this isn't working for me anymore. In fact, it's almost killing me from a mental health perspective and potentially could actually kill me. The feeling that comes up is shame. You know, the feeling that comes up is self-criticism. And then I think that when you find a way out of that or you figure out or, or understand better, get the perspective better on the fact that actually there are solutions that could make it so other moms don't have to be there in the first place, you get so mission driven. You know, when I talk about my work, I can feel my voice raising a little bit and my energy levels going up because I just feel so strongly that women don't have to live in that place. And yet it feels so complicated and out of reach and people really do feel so, so stuck. So I'm so grateful to you that you're doing this work. And I I feel you in terms of being in that place. I've been there too. And I want to hear what is the solution that you not came up with, but that you discovered the what sounds like the scientific way that you found for moms to be able to not have to get into that space. Right. So, I mean, one of the biggest guiding principles back to that baked Alaska is this concept called the social ecological model. And that basically says that we're influenced. We as a person bring something to, to trying to do something. So, for example, if we were trying to diet, we'd have to have the willpower to, to diet. But we'd also have to have support from our family to be able to have the healthy foods in the home and the kids not complaining of having mm-hmm. too many vegetables. Mm-hmm. And then if we went out into a workplace or an education place that there was not candy all over the desk every day, mm-hmm. making it harder for you to stick to your willpower. And then you could access, in fact, you know, healthy foods 
at a reasonable price in a local grocery store. So mm-hmm. we, I mean, that's how we sort of approach, for example, obesity prevention in public health. We think about all those those things, and we think very, very carefully too about the disparities in all those things. Because mm-hmm. if you simply say to someone, "It's down to your willpower." But yeah. then they don't have access to these foods because of the the different places where where healthy foods are are situated. Then you can't, you know, it really then doesn't solve that individual focus. Doesn't solve the disparities that are part of the cause. So yeah. that's definitely one of the, f- the the frameworks that I come from. So I see burnout and DEI as very much aligned because some of the conditions that cause burnout, for example lack of reward, lack of flexibility, and injustice and value conflicts in the workplace, they arise from lack of psychological safety and from, you know, the maternal wall and the motherhood pay penalty, Mm -hmm. from unfair systems that are demonstrated to you all the time. And particularly then for for women of color in workplaces, you know, the continued comments about their compensation or what they're dressed as. So yeah, these things are the things that make you feel you don't belong and they re- that you're reminded of them constantly. And that's what, what those are the conditions that, that lead to burnout. So that's why those things have to change. So again, if you leave your job, you will take your personality with you to the next job mm-hmm. so you could continue to go into burnout. So that's why it is. It's really important to, to focus on your mindset. And I'm not a coach, but I have benefited so much from coaching, I have lots of discussions about how do you decide to invest in that. It really is investing in your own professional and personal development, but also you can ask an employer to invest in you in that way as well because it really helps you develop the emotional intelligence, the boundaries, and the, you know, real good communication skills that you need in the workplace anyway. And then say for, for mums, particularly at the family level, then I think it's all the things that, that you discuss in terms of, you know, the conversations you've got to have with your partner, the work that Eve Rodsky does around fair play. It's like, mm-hmm. how do we, in raising our children to be adults, how do we get them to participate you know, how do we take breaks as a mom as well? Because I think that's one thing I discovered was that the sharing of the tasks just wasn't the solution for my husband and I. But if yeah. I could take like whole weeks away, even if it was just I w- went to a co-working space or he took the kids away to visit his family, those were the solutions for us at the family level. And then at the workplace, for me, a comprehensive workplace solution to this would be one that the workplace sees employee well-being as a key performance indicator because then mm-hmm. it's accountable at the board level the priorities the investments and the evaluation all stem from that and then mm-hmm. you'd actually start to see that some of these self-care or mental health benefit solutions they're short-term solutions yes we need to process stress and get it out mm-hmm. of our body and we need to have healthy coping mechanisms for stress for sure but those are, uh, as a public health person as well, I know how limited those are at the population level and how short term they are. So definitely key performance indicator kind of drives it all. And then there's some really fantastic guidelines from the National Academy of Medicine, which are evidence-based guidelines, and they are multi-level, like that baked Alaska. They're saying, okay, what can we do at the board C-suite level? What can we do at your clinician or employee level? 
What is there in the learning processes in our organization that we need to think about? What is the individual change that we need to make? And then aligning it with your DEI strategy. As I said, I think if you can really institute fair promotion and pay systems and institute psychological safety, that is going to really improve the situation for so many people of color and for for other disadvantaged groups. Because if they constantly have to having to reprove themselves, which is like the first step along Freudenberger mm-hmm. and North's burnout cycle. They have 12 stages. Stage number one is proving yourself. Now you mm-hmm. can prove yourself because of your personality, but you also have to reprove yourself if you're from a group where your skills are not valued or whether your performance is questioned. I mean, we know that from the research on women versus men, they can have exactly the same performance metrics, but the men are seen as having greater potential. And that's once you start to measure this unknown potential and rate men preferentially there, we know this is all part of the systemic problem. And then for me, the last part that, again, comes from healthcare, actually. So you may be aware of this, too. So in in healthcare, when new recommendations come out of new practices that you have to do, basically often there are these quality improvement cycles. And so we study what is it in a practice or in a hospital that's getting in the way at the team level, at the organizational level, at the individual physician level, who controls the the workflow that makes these new recommendations possible. And so the way you sort of work around those types of barriers is through learning collaboratives where you start to pilot things and you're constantly checking, have we got it right? What are the barriers along the way? And then you're all learning from each other in such a more supportive way. So that's another piece that to me is a part of that comprehensive plan. So I say it's the, the key performance indicator the National Academy of Medicine guidelines, the alignment with DEI, and the learning collaborative. So, all just a few little things, a few, a few, a few little items to tackle. Well, talk to me more. About Am I the too nat- much? Am I too much? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Mama, it is here and available for download. It's the new Modern Mamas Club app. We are so ready to join you on your personal journey from conflicted to centered. We want to take you on an evidence-based path from feeling conflicted all the time, from feeling pulled in all kinds of directions, from feeling burnt out to feeling really purposeful and aligned. As you move through your working motherhood experience, no matter what is happening around you. So go check it out in the App Store. You know, sometimes people ask me too, like about the framework, they're like, well, explain it in two sentences. And I go, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I I need 30 minutes. Hold on. I can tell you the why. I can tell you the overall how, but I cannot give you the details in two minutes. So tell me more about the National Academy of Medicine pieces, about those guidelines. Tell me a little bit more, dig into that a bit more about what they're suggesting. Just from a higher level, you know, I mean, we're not going to get into like point a 1.2 but but what are some of the major things that they're saying need to happen yeah 
And so I think there's two pieces of the National of Academy of Medicine guidelines. So there's one which is the taking action against clinician burnout, and that's called a systems approach to professional well-being. But another very similar guideline as well has come out as well, looking at preventing clinician suicide, a call to action during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. And so that call to prevent clinician suicide came out of Dr. Laura Breen's suicide. And I don't know if that's something you've talked about on the on the podcast before, no. but she was struggling with mental health issues, particularly during COVID. I mean, that whole experience of the overwork for a start and two, not being able to save people in ways that, mm-hmm. that, that she had been able to before. This was yeah. such a moral distress. And unfortunately, Dr. Laura Breen died by suicide. So her family created this foundation and have started to advocate for policies where mental, the mental health of a physician does not put them at risk of losing their license. That was mm-hmm. one of the biggest problems in that situation was she was so afraid of if losing her license if if she was struggling with her mental health. I mean, it's serious stuff. I'm sorry, it is serious stuff, but it but it really comes, those two guidelines come together. And in fact, on the suicide prevention ones, they have some wonderful examples of how to talk to your colleagues if you yeah. notice something about them, or even to talk to your colleagues who, who always seem upbeat, because just not assuming that those upbeat people really underneath it all aren't struggling. So I feel so much for our healthcare workers in this period. It's just been incredible. But again, yeah, you know, the the Surgeon General has called for more action on this. So so let mm-hmm. me take you through this the six goals that that are the big summary level action for this clinician burnout. So the first one is about creating that positive work environment. So that's all the kind of workplace things that I've talked about. Mm -hmm. And then the second goal they're saying is create the positive learning environment. So basically saying that everybody is willing to learn about well-being, is, is willing to learn about the things that they need to change. So create an environment that supports that learning goal. Because Mm -hmm. essentially we've got to admit that we don't yet know everything about how to improve well-being. So if we don't have that open mindset and the curiosity to say, okay, what are we going to try to do and what can we learn? So that's why it's both like what do we change in the work environment and and with the workplace practices and the workflows, but how do we also create this learning environment around Mm -hmm. well-being? Number three is how do we reduce administrative burdens? And obviously that's that's extremely high mm-hmm. for physicians. But I think it applies to so many other organizations with, you know, women mostly doing the, the unpaid housework in, in companies. Those yep. are the types of things that have to stop and, and, and be redistributed or just be saying, you know, that's the thing I think when you're coming from this sort of mentality of scarcity, then focus, just focus on the most impactful things. Yeah. You know, these other these other administrative things, you know, are are less important. Particularly for in the the healthcare environment, they're talking about enabling technology solutions. Mm-hmm. And that one always kind of makes me laugh because I quite often write grants for people who are doing machine learning, for example, mm-hmm. around different devices in the ER or, or something like that. And 
so all the the community the computer science folks come in with all these great solutions, but basically the biggest barrier to them is the humans. <laughs> so that's where I love it because you sort of start to get them realizing, okay, this great idea we have, it's got to work for the humans. It's got to sit in the right workflows. It's actually got to be sensitive, but not overly sensitive. So I love when that technology and human sort of science comes together. Goal five is to provide support to clinicians and learners. So if we remember goal one was the work environment, that's really how is it set up. But then goal five is much more about those things like the mental health support. So that could be access to coaches or or therapists or things like that. But again, Mm -hmm. it's a separate goal to that first goal of the work environment. And then the last goal, which I love entirely, is invest in research. <laughs> yes, I totally agree <laughs> of with that one. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, man. You know, uh, we could unpack this. So again, not small things, not small things. <laughs> no, not small things. And we could unpack it. You know, I think with COVID, too, and the decline in insurance reimbursement rates for physicians, especially in primary care settings like I am, you know, with COVID, we got the loans, um, loan repayment program with the forget loan forgiveness twice. You know, I mean, our administrator was working day in and day out only on that. So our administrators were burnt out. We all had the stress of Mm. like, maybe our company is going to all fall down in a burning heaping pile. The insurance companies aren't paying us for like credible bills that we've put into them, like invoices that they put in, you know, a year later because of what's happened with COVID. So it's really interesting because I think so much of this is really important. And there are also, I think, some like fundamental issues in terms of funding, I think, for healthcare as well, right? That have to be addressed because when your business feels like it's failing, then you have very little bandwidth for much else. And then the other thing that I think is really interesting within medicine, and I know all healthcare providers will, will not all, but most healthcare providers, I'm sure, will, will resonate with this on some level, is that things have really changed, I think, from a provider-patient relationship, which is a great mm. thing in some regards, right? It's no longer, I go into a room, everything that I say is the gospel truth, you're blessed by my presence, you know, if you had to wait 30 minutes for me, you know, so be it, because I've arrived, and you should just be happy that I spent time taking care of your kid, right? But things have mm-hmm. flipped in the other direction, where We have Yelp reviews of how we do with patients and people expect with the technology, like on-demand scheduling that happens and they want the time to be when it does work for them because they're working, which is all so good and amazing. And we should have amazing customer service and all of that. But I feel like there are so many competing factors that make Mm. it really difficult, I think, in the healthcare space. And We actually, as part of our education piece, I'm on the executive committee in my office, and we we were all discussing, like, what are we going to do about provider burnout? And we were talking about a local person who can come in and give, like, talks and do education around burnout and, like, how to recognize it and whatever, which is great. And one one of our executive team leaders said, or we could have less meetings. (laughs) Yes. You know, like... Or we could decide that this year we're not going to contribute to the, you know, I don't know, Rose Day Parade and all show up there on a Saturday. Like, we could do that. 
at this point, those are the things that actually would lessen my burnout is to not have conversations about like, what color are we going to paint the parking lot space dividers? You know what I mean? Like we need to just eliminate and basically reduce our mental load as providers. I think that's what you're talking about, like reducing administrative things or reducing kind of the extras on top so that when we can be with our patients, that we can be as present as possible and not feel like we're just running through a mill and seeing them and and not getting much reward. Because like you're saying, like creating rewards within workplaces is really what keeps people wanting to be there. And I'm not saying financial rewards, but I mean, feeling like your work is rewarding, feeling like when you go Mm -hmm. there, it means something that there's significance to it, that you're making a difference in someone's life. Right. And that it's meaningful and worthwhile. And I agree those, those decisions about the office housework or the administrative things, they're not even the best use of your training or your brain or your skills. And yeah, they, they definitely just drag you down. And, and, and especially when they are unpaid, it really doesn't help you keep your value. You, you are devaluing yourself when you're spending time on things that are not your core skill and meaning in life. I agree. I agree. So there's so much that we could get rid of in those situations. And, and again, when people are actually in that moment of burnout too, that's one of the things that that I recommend kind of two things is one is really starting to track what it is you're doing with your time and starting Mm -hmm. to really pay attention to how much time you're spending on things that one are are not core to -hmm. to your business, but two that you don't enjoy either. And that you're doing out of obligation, not love. I mean, because again, once you start putting those motherhood ones down as well and thinking about all the things you might do that you really don't want to do. And you start to look at how much of your life is out of obligation. And then how often you say yes, be no. And that was very important for me because Mm -hmm. I started to track the yeses and nos and I started to realize I am asked to do new things constantly no Mm -hmm. wonder I feel like this is an endless barrage and no wonder I feel bad that I say no so often because I'm having to say no to 20 things a week and then maybe the two slip in that I say yes to but just get control like get to, to track it so that you can start to get control over it. Because I think as well, we spend so much time not being aware of what we're spending our time on and our decisions behind it. And so then really starting to say, okay, what are the things I do want to work on and I do want to do? And I mean, even companies like Google focus on that when they start to see that an employee, they they have sort of predictive systems when an employee starts to report that they have less job satisfaction, that's when they really bring out the job crafting solutions and say, what are the things you most enjoy? Mm-hmm. Now, as a mom, we don't often ask ourselves that question. <laughs> so no, it's much not harder at all. to find the answer. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that's part of the problem. We have no idea mm-hmm. what we enjoy anymore. We've completely lost ourselves. No. Like, I don't know, you know, what would I do if I had a free day, you know, to do? You know, the other piece that I think you brought up is this idea of a lot of times we don't even know what we spend our time on. And Mm. what I'm always encouraging people to slow down and think about too, and I think make yourself aware of, is this idea of sometimes I think being able to say we're stressed or being able to say we're busy, but that subconsciously is a way to say I'm valuable. And I- Oh, yes. Half of this, right, is about societal pressure, the 
society is putting stuff on us or break. But the other pieces, I think, when we're busy, when we feel kind of stressed, that means like we're important, we have value, we have something that we're really busy and need to get to, you know? And my gosh, we don't have to judge ourselves for it. But if we can just be aware of it when it happens, then we can ask ourselves why and slow down and hopefully make sometimes a different choice to choose things that have meaning or significance over things that keep us distracted. Yeah, I think that's so important because I definitely wore my busy badge with pride. (laughs) And I'm ashamed of that now. But yes, definitely wore it with pride. And what actually I really try and recommend, and one of the coaches on, on my podcast said this, if you can filter everything, and she said it in this way, a mediocre mediocre man mindset that's going to help you. Because if we look at the women around us and we try to do it like them, we're all doing our busy badge. We're all over volunteering. So when you look for that, whereas if you actually think, if I think about like, what would my husband say yes to? Is it even on his radar that he's not volunteering at school? He is not on his radar that he, that there's things going on. And any guilt, none. So it's kind of like if you can give yourself those type of metrics and then that might mean that your accountability partner, I, for example, have a friend who's, who's a childless man. And I'm like, okay, what would you do? And he's like, nope, 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 (laughs) nope. And it's like, okay, thank you. That's who I need as my accountability partner, not another mom that's going, well, you probably should, or, you know, and, and so, and that's so important for us as moms to each other, because we need to role model that, you know, oh, yeah, my husband does all the cooking or no, I've chosen not to volunteer at all this year. Or right. yeah, I take that's why I always say to people, I try and take a week off about every quarter from my family yeah. and you can do it too. Yeah. We have to actively role model the breaks and the when we're not being busy so that we give each other permission. Yeah, this martyr to motherhood is, it's upsetting me so much because I remember when I heard that term and then the question was, do you want your daughter to live the life you're living? And the Mm -hmm. answer was immediately no, 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 no. And so it was like, so how can I role model? And my son recently came home and his grade had organized the Valentine's dance. And he said, we're going to have another dance because all the girls worked the full Valentine's dance and didn't do any dancing, had no fun at the party. So we're organizing another party for them. And I was like, what made them spend the whole party volunteering, doing face painting and things. Whereas my son, he had his hour and a half where he set up decorations, he did it, and then he yeah. danced the rest of the night. And it really made me go, well, no wonder. They're seeing us mums volunteering the whole party, you know, yeah. going all the extra mile all the time. And, you know, they're 13 and they've already picked that up and they're enacting it. And then they're realizing, I had no fun at the party. <laughs> And luckily the teachers are organizing them a new party, but that doesn't happen in the rest of life. Like no one makes up for the fact that you just burnt yourself out face painting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it starts young. And really, I mean, it does come, it does come down to that. I mean, I, I do look into my children's faces and think when I was little, what was I asking my mom to do? 
was it work harder, mm-hmm. do more things, have a cleaner house, have a perfectly decorated home? No, it was spend time with me. It was be happy. It was have her do things that she enjoyed. I remember my parents, to their full credit, took lots of like little cruises without us and vacations to Hawaii and whatnot without us. And my parents never apologized for that. And that's something that now my husband and I do without apology, but that's because she showed me how to do that. Mm. She also worked her fingers to the bone at her job and said sometimes unwittingly, I'm sorry, but I need to work. You'll have to wait, which is like fine for her to say that, but it was a lot of the time, right? And I don't want that to be the thing that my kids hear and that they do too. And we do have a choice as to what we model for them. And my mom knows I talked about that on this podcast. She's, she's, we've had discussions about it, open discussions. And she said, you know, at the time I thought that I was role modeling to your point at the beginning of this podcast, you can do anything. You can be anything. You can be a mom and you can be an amazing high powered career woman and you can do it all. And she said, and I see in your generation that women are starting to find that they can do everything, but they don't have to, and that they're a lot happier when they don't. So mm-hmm. you guys, thank exactly. you so much for listening today. Jacqueline, thank you for being here with us. And tell everybody where they can find out more about your podcast and about your TEDx talk. Right. Thank you so much. It's been such a great conversation. So yeah, on my website, drjacquelinecurr.com, all my things are there. And my podcast is Overcoming Working Mom Burnout. And my TEDx talk is How to Stop Burnout Before It Starts. Awesome. We'll put links to both of those in the show notes and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining. Hey mama, if you want more of the Modern Mommy Doc podcast, make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag Modern Mommy Doc. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.